just before we left to come over here back in May this year, one of the last messages I preached in Australia was uh, titled, Bumps, Ditches and Potholes. And if anybody gets close to me, you'll find that I've got all three on top of my head. So, But uh, I trust that I can uh, help you all tonight. Uh, Dr. Paulson in college, when I was in college back in the 90s, that was last century, uh, he, he, he confronted me one day. I was working in the bookstore, Peddler's Way, and he said, Andrew, he got right in my face. He said, Andrew, you'd make a better teacher than you would a preacher. So, uh, and I had no argument with that. So if I don't, I'm not going to dance around on the platform or anything like that. I'm not going to perform any somersaults like some I've seen some preachers do, but uh, hopefully, hopefully you'll be all blessed uh, by the, the message tonight. And frankly, after hearing those two children's groups sing up here, I think I'd prefer to hear their voices than mine. But uh, I was raised in a, a, a Brethren church, open Brethren. I believe it's what you otherwise know, what's otherwise known as a Plymouth Brethren church. Uh, and I got saved at a summer camp just outside the town where I grew up in northern Tasmania, not more than 12 miles from where Coast Lone Baptist Church is, where we serve uh, with Brother Dave Westbrook right now. And uh, it's just, it's, it's amazing to think how God can bring a person from all the way from that part of the world over here. But I'd like it if you could all turn to Psalm 19. <clears throat> I'm just going to read three verses from there, and then I'm going to turn to Proverbs 35. If I was to give a title to this message or lesson tonight, I'd title it The One Book We Can All Get Excited About. And that's this one here, King James Bible. <clears throat> when I was saved as an eight-year-old boy, I had no comprehension beyond the gospel as to the significance of God's word. But just in these few verses here, it tells us what, something about his word. Uh, the law, starting with verse 7, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is, is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. And over in Proverbs 30, verse 5, Every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in Him. Uh, it's funny, but when I was eight years old, every, almost every church, with the exception of maybe the Catholic Church, every church in northwest Tasmania was using the old King James Bible. Uh, we were, I think we were one of the last places in all of Australia that, where people woke up and realized that there was a modern Bible movement that was going to supplant this one for some reason. But I still have a copy of the, the Bible that uh, my parents gave my twin brother and me uh, for our eighth birthday. Uh, I didn't bring it with me. It's a lot smaller than this one. 
and the print's a lot smaller too, and I could read it way back then. But uh, anyway, leap forward to January 1990, when I was living in Sydney after starting my career in planning, I was invited to Liberty Baptist Church under the pastorate of Pastor Keith Piper. Uh, I think you all know who he is. Uh, he's he's a he's in a phenomenal man of God in his own right, and the way God has used him over the years to reach more and more uh, Persian Muslims is just transforming. Had a, he's had a transforming experience, not just for him pers himself personally, but for his church. Uh, Growing up, even though I was saved under the King James Bible, by the time I was a teenager, by the time I was 11, when my parents separated and later divorced, uh, I, didn't I didn't walk into the doors of another church until I was 17. And I went from a King James Bible to a Good News Bible, help us, and then all my friends had an NIV. So what did I do? I went and got an NIV. The Thompson Chain one too at that. Uh, I, th I was rather proud of it. But praise the Lord for patient pastors. From the moment I walked in the doors of Pastor Keith Piper's church, Liberty Baptist, I, I knew that, that this was the church I should have been, a lot, been at all along. I was 26 years old when I walked into his church. Uh, <coughs> And it took three years after walking in that church to get rid of my NIV. That's how stubborn I was. Uh, what was the difference? Brother Piper made God's word come alive like I had never heard before. And this was from day one. I don't know why it took me so long to get over the idea that the NIV was just corrupted. I didn't know any different and nobody had taught me anything different. And in fact, for a while, I think I was, I was giving just justified reasons why it was no more uh, perfect than what the King James was, or how wrong I was. Uh, only my stubborn, rebellious, Tasmanian devil nature is what delayed my honest acceptance of what is truly an amazing Bible in the English language. Jump forward several more years, 1995, the Lord led me to Hiles Anderson College. Uh, <clears throat> this was a revolution <laughs> in more ways than one. And I came there to get my third degree and I didn't expect it to come in more ways than one. Uh, those of you who are experienced Hiles Anderson College will know exactly what I mean by that. Uh, excited about what I was learning, I, I wrote to a friend back in Australia telling him all I'd been learning about the King James Bible. And I was expecting him to concur with what I was saying instead he writes back to me and, and rebukes me about uh, what I was saying about the King James Bible. The truth is, at the time, I could not substantiate the claims I was making about this Bible. And in my heart from that point, and against what I was hearing Brother Hiles speak from behind the pulpit, I resolved in my heart to, if the day ever came, if the opportunity came, I would study this for myself and study and learn all I could to find out just exactly whether whether what was claimed about this Bible was was true, and I'm glad to say it was and is. Uh, leap forward to December 2022. 
If you were challenged by someone to justify or substantiate what you too had learned about this Bible, how would you answer them? 1 Peter 3.15, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. We're not really going to get close to God until we get in this book. And that's true for any of us, and irrespective of our age. Once we start getting some understanding about God's Word, there's every opportunity that we should take advantage of to, to get to know this book and get right with the Lord in such a way as to uh, do what he, what he wants for our lives. My aim tonight is to give you some reasons why you and I can all be excited about this one Bible that has outshined outperformed and outmaneuvered every other version in English since its inception. President Abraham Lincoln said of the King James Bible, in regard to this great book, I have but to say, I believe the Bible is the best gift God has given to man. All the good Saviour gave to the world was communicated through this book. But for this book, we could not know right from wrong we need to convey that to a few politicians, both in Australia and over here. Uh, and didn't matter what persuasion they are either. All things most desirable for man's welfare here and hereafter are to be found portrayed in it. I'm going to list seven reasons why we should get excited about this book. Uh, seven, because it's God's perfect number. I may not get through, I may just get to number six, but I don't know, I'll see how I go for time. I don't want to, see, I don't want to keep you here all night. Uh, has anyone here given much thought as to why, why we call it the living word of God? But more important, has it occurred to anyone that his word is only alive if we do something with it? It's 1 John 1.6, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. Bottom line is this is a doing book. Uh, are you doing anything with the Word of God? I know there's a bunch of people in this room who do things, do things with God's Word. Uh, the best thing we can do is get involved in soul winning. After all, that was the closest thing to Christ's heart. Uh, <clears throat> but this one little word, do, is a powerful word. It's used in the active verb tense. In other words, the Bible will only come alive if we do something with it. Uh, we can read it, study it. Oh, there's a whole bunch of verses here, but I won't have time for them. Read it, study it, teach it, preach it, act upon its commands, i.e. soul winning, and always, like I stated earlier, with regard to 1 Peter 3.15, always be ready to give an answer to somebody that asks you of the hope that lies within you. And the more you get to know this, the more you can explain that hope that does lie within you. Uh, and Hebrews 4.12 for the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. <clears throat> Number one, I've covered why this is the living word of God. Number two, another reason why we should get excited is because the minutest of detail is not missed. Some call it biblical English. Matthew 5 verses 17 and 18. This is where Christ speaks. Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. 
For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass one, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till it all be fulfilled. A jot is the smallest letter in the Hebrew alphabet. Hebrew alphabet. Uh, and way back then it was just consonant letters and they had 22 of them. And a tittle refers to the smallest variations which distinguish some of the Hebrew letters. I know what I'm talking about because I studied Hebrew online with Hebrew University for six, for about eight or nine months. I just stayed with the base, the most basic course because there was too much try to take in to the brain which wasn't working so well. So, uh, but the so-called archaic tone of the authorized King James Bible was deliberate and has the effect of elevating the language of the Bible. It was never the, la the language used in this Bible was never the language of 1611 or that era. It never was. Uh, talk to an Englishman today, they probably wouldn't be able to even uh, speak in the language of the King James Bible. Uh, but the use of pronouns in the KJB distinguishes the subtle differences, all of which are missed in modern versions. Thee, thou, thy, ye, and you. They are, they are singular and plural words. Thee, thou, and thy refer to singular words. Ye and you are plural words uh, in both Hebrew and Greek. To change these words to the generic English you is to miss the full meaning of the words in the biblical text. And then we have est, eth, shall, and will. They, they also have their own distinct meanings, uh, distinct usefulnesses in the... In the insofar as God's word is concerned. All of these shades of meaning in Koine Greek and Biblical Hebrew, they are used to both, they are used in a both masculine and a feminine form. Replacing the, these words with the generic you is to create a transla translation that frankly is inferior to the authorized King James Bible. Proofs as to the impact of Biblical English is found in common everyday phrases. And this is one of the, the most this is one of the most enduring things about this amazing Bible. An eye for an eye. These are just a few examples, and you can look them up. An eye for an eye, give, give up the ghost. Out of the mouth of babes. We heard out of the mouth of babes tonight. That was really good. In the, in the twinkling of an eye, sour grapes. Fight the good fight. Holier than thou, O ye of little faith. Oh, how often we hear that last one, and we all need that one. Uh, especially when it comes to seeing big things that God does for us in this life. Uh, so I've covered why consider, is the why consider it as the living word of God. Uh, number two, the minutest of detail is not missed. Number three, what about so-called contradictions? Oh, this is, one of my, this is one of my favorites. I really went to town on this one, but I have to admit one, just one section of that chapter on one particular so supposed contradiction took me six months to nut out in my own head before I was satisfied that it was going to be communicable at a reasonable level in the Bible. It, sorry, in that book that, that the Lord let me finish. Uh, the short answer to this question, are there contradictions, is that there are no contradictions in this Bible. Isaiah 34, 16, the first part of it says, Seek ye out of the book of the Lord and read, No one of these shall fall or fail. John 5.39, search the scriptures, for in them ye th think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. Jesus said that. 2 Timothy 2.15, study to show thyself approved, 
unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Too many modern Bible scholars dismiss differences between some passages of Scripture. Uh, <clears throat> uh, the, the attributes of so-called contradictions, most of modern Bible scholars attribute the so-called contradictions to scribal errors, but they'll accept the rest of the Bible as being true and correct. Now, there's something wrong with that because God promised his word would be preserved, did he not? He promised it would be pure. He promised it would be inspired and so on and so on. There's a whole bunch of promises that God made about specifically about his word. So <clears throat> I believe that we have God's perfect word in here. An exa one example, I'll just give one example. It's taking up a third of a page here. Ouch. Uh, if you want to, go to 1 Kings 7, 26 and hold your hold one finger there and flip over also to 2 Chronicles 4, 5. 1 Kings 7, verse 26, and 2 Chronicles 4, 5. And it was, it was talk, it's talking about the temple here, and it was in the hand, it was in hand breadth thick, and the brim thereof was wrought like the brim of a cup with flowers of lilies. It contained 2,000 baths. Okay, well, that sounds reasonable. Second Chronicles 4, 5, it's, refer it's, in, it's referring to the same thing, but there's a slight variation here. As the thickness of it was and handbreadth and the brim of it like the work of the brim of a cup with flowers of lilies, and it received and hurled 3,000 baths. At first glance, you think there's a contradiction there. There's not. As with many other seeming contradictions, when the wording of each passage is considered more carefully, a reasonable explanation can be given. First Kings reads that the temple contained 2,000 baths, whereas Second Chronicles clarifies that the same received and hurled 3,000 baths. While one passage states how many baths could be held, the other explains how many in total could be received and hurled. There's a, there's a difference there. One is simply looking at it from a different angle. Whatever the outcome, the temple not only held 2,000 baths, but it could also receive an additional 1,000 baths. How difficult is that? Hello? Uh, anyway, that was number three. Uh, number four, what about authorization of the King James Bible? Liberals will claim that the King James Bible is no more authorized than any, any other version of the Bible. Uh, I beg to differ. Ecclesiastes 8.4, where the word of a king is, there is power. And who may say unto him, what doest thou? Disappointingly, liberals ignore some basic facts regarding this truly amazing Bible. Author number one, authorization of the King James Bible has nothing to do with the English Parliament. Uh, that's the first thing to be aware of. The sovereign of the day assumed an important role in matters of state. King James I was legally obliged to follow certain protocols. Given his personal and keen interest in, this, in, in, in the production of this Bible or being put together, he, he had the right as a king on, in terms of stately affairs and affairs pertaining to the church, he had every reason to declare this in an authorized manner as Great Britain's head of state. Uh, it added to an his endorsement added to an eventual widespread acceptance as authoritative, this Bible, amongst the people of England. 
over time. Authorization of this one outstanding version is acknowledged in the Cambridge, Cambridge edition. I have a copy of that at home, but I'm afraid it was too heavy for my bookcase. Now I bought another one to replace it while I'm over here, just for weight reasons. But in there it says, translated out of the original tongues and with the former translations diligently compared and revised by His Majesty's special command. It was he, he commanded that a, this Bible be translated, be put together. And strictly speaking, it wasn't another translation. The, trans, the so-called uh, King James Bible translators, when they got together, uh, they were making a better production of what, what God's Word already was. Uh, for, and they diligently compared notes. Uh, and, and incidentally, when they got together, there was no unity between them. There was, they were divided into six companies, two, two from Westminster, two from Cambridge, and two from Oxford University. Uh, <clears throat> and many of them had very contrasting views. Some of them were, were they were just, some of them were off the planet with their views, but most of them were already preachers. And, and many of them gave up lucrative academic careers at the institutions they served because they realized just how important it was to get out a Bible that would unify a nation. And up to that point, there was no unity in England. First, Now, let's look at the number five. The credibility does not rely on faulty manuscripts. First John 5, verse 7 and 8. For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. And there are three that bear witness in earth, the spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree in one. Modern Bible scholars claim that, their claim is that 1 John 5, 7 should not be included as there are only nine Greek manuscripts which contain it. That is rubbish. I, I reject that outrightly. We have today, we have still to this day over 5,000, I think closer to 5,200 uh, copies of the Greek New Testament manuscripts with many of them not even complete containing only fragments of the originals. My research attests to the reality that there are, there are in fact 31 Greek manuscripts which support its inclusion. Verse, uh, first John 1 5 verse 7. Uh, <clears throat> some of the earliest Latin versions of the scriptures include First John 5, 7. In fact, it is found in each of the six only surviving old Latin manuscripts. Evidence shows that it's been embraced by Christians in every century since the first century. Its exclusion by modern Bible advocates has only occurred within the past, what, 100, 120, 150 years. John the Apostle makes a personal endorsement of the text addressing the second person in the Trinity as the Word. And I'll take a quote. This is one of the, I got a book by a, a, a Dr. C.H. Pappas. Uh, he looked right into this. And he says, if the reader stops for a moment and considers, he or she will realize that one copy is just as authentic as any other if, if it is a legitimate copy of, a, of the original autograph. Just because the copy is of a late date does not make it less credible. A copy is a copy regardless of the date. So that's number five. I've got to move on here. Number six, 
It maintains word distinctions omitted in modern versions. Oh, I, I should add, regarding the, uh, the faulty, so-called multi, uh, the credibility of this not relying on faulty manuscripts, it's interesting, but you pick up a m most modern versions of the Bible, you will find a footnote uh, qualifying, uh, look, making reference to a, a verse like 1 John 5, 7, and it will say, typically at the bottom, this, 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 this verse was not found in the originals. And I'm thinking to myself, the editors of these modern versions, did they ever see their originals? Not on your life. They made a big fat lie. They, couldn't, they can't even substantiate what they say in those footnotes. Be careful of that. Uh, be careful of footnotes in just about any Bible. <laughs> Number six, it maintains word distinctions omitted in modern versions. It is a sad reality that modern versions in English omit so much of God's word. And just in the New Testament alone, there are over 2,000 words missing, reduce, reducing even the choice of words in generic forms. Now, I know that 1 Corinthians 13, it speaks of love, even though the word charity is used. And it's not wrong to use the word love in the context of chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians. <coughs> but... <clears throat> Even the King James Bible, 1 Corinthians, essentially about love. Now, I've jumped ahead of myself here, but and it's not wrong to use the word love to describe 1 Corinthians 13. I have an eSword app on my computer. It uses modern subheadings to summarize any one section. And for 1 Corinthians 13, it's titled The Way of Love. Well, okay, that's okay. But ask yourself, why did the translators of the King James Bible choose the word charity instead of the word love? It is simply due to the fact that charity has a wider meaning than the word love. But modern Bible translators will, will, will reject this. And I'll explain very briefly here. While it can be agreed that God is love, by the very nature of the word, at least in a human sense, Love works two ways, insofar as giving and receiving, whereas charity is all about giving and where nothing is expected in return. I, I can use a, an illustration that Brother Hiles gave many years ago, which I can apply to this. I know there was a pastor, I don't know who it was, somewhere down south, criticized Brother Hiles publicly uh, and somewhere along the way, he lost his voice. He couldn't preach for like three or four months, maybe a whole year. Brother Hiles heard about it. He sent him a, a brand new King James Bible, and he he sent him a, a some. He, he learned about his medical problem where he couldn't speak. He he sent him some money to pay to, for the the medical bills. Some of you may know who it was. But this preacher wrote back to him and said, why, why are you doing this for me when, when I've criticized you so much? Uh, and, he, and, he, and he referred to, uh, to the, the text, I don't know where it is off, off the top of my head. Uh, remember, there's all bumps up there anyway. Uh, he, said, he reminded him of what God said to love about loving your enemies. So, so it kind of buttoned him, he didn't know what else to do or what else to say. The last one, 
another reason why we should get excited about the King James Bible is why we can all trust it. It's been tried and tested for more than 400 years. And you'll hear the critics say, 400 years out of what? Bible history of what, 6,000 years? That's nothing. But if you look at Bible history, you study Bible history, you will see that God's, God's blessing on, on mankind, the Jews and the Gentiles alike, rose and fell according to the spiritual uh, condition of mankind down through the ages. And over to be now over 400 years old is, is something outstanding. Thousands have died for standing on principle, believing it and living by its precepts. England became a powerhouse of wealth because of its transforming power. It was called the Industrial Revolution and that's where it started. And my book covers a lot more about the wealth that was generated and the power and influence they had across the globe. Bless God, in honour of King James I, early settlers here in the States even named a town on the east coast of the US called Jamestown. Military personnel have taken this Bible with them to fight for the freedoms that we get to enjoy today. Uh, my grandfather fought in Gallipoli in World War I. All Australian soldiers that were, before they left, were issued by the Australian Army, they were issued a New Testament. And back in those days, there was only one version being used, and it was the King James Bible. I see the challenges faced by my wife. I'm not here to embarrass her. And, and I know there's many others here who are safe, facing similar challenges, but she's maintained a walk with the Lord through this cancer journey. Dr. Streeter calls her a miracle, but if the truth be known, her great source of inspiration to keep going is found within the pages of this amazing book. Two verses of scripture she keeps reminding herself of, and, and, and they've helped me too, I must say. Psalm 118, verse 17. I shall not die, but live, and declare the works of the Lord. Romans 8, 28. You all know this one. And we know that all things... Not, not some, not most, but all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. If I was giving my concluding remarks tonight would be this, simply this. When you lay your head on your pillow tonight, think about your attitude toward God, his word, and all that it contains. Contemplate the mind of the psalmist in what he says in Psalm 119. Verse starting from verse 161. There's only seven verses that I'm reading. Princes have persecuted me without a cause, but my heart standeth in awe at thy word. I rejoice at thy word as one that findeth great spoil. I hate and abhor lying, but thy law do I love. Seven times a day do I praise thee because of thy righteous judgments. Great peace have they which love thy law and nothing shall offend them. Lord, I have hoped for thy salvation and done thy commandments. <clears throat> my soul hath kept my, thy testimonies, and I love them exceedingly. I have kept thy precepts and thy testimonies, for all my ways are before thee. Where's your heart tonight when it comes to God's word? This is, as far as English is concerned, this is God's perfect word. And, and, I, and I've settled on it. 
I believe it now more than ever and being in the ministry now for all oh, since leaving college since 1999 uh, I, I marvel at how God has blessed the lives that that he's used my wife and me to influence for him uh, he gets all the glory and so he should for every one of our lives so where do we stand on it are we learning it do we know what's in it I challenge you tonight that you do that if you're not already because it really is an amazing book.